very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Do you understand what just happened here? The dude was completely, he had no clothes on. He was out in the wilderness for years and his hair grew out and his claws grew out and he literally lived like a wild beast. Are you, are you catching this? A king. Now check this here. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. I, I pray this morning, here's my prayer for you, that your understanding would return to you. Because some people act like they lost their mind when things go crazy in the earth. That your understanding would come to you. He said, and I blessed the Most High. Really, Nebuchadnezzar, you just lived you know, several years as a wild beast. But this is what he's doing. Follow me here. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done, God? I want you to say this after me. I am not in control. I am not in control. And say this after me. I don't have to be in control. I don't have to be in control. Father, I pray this morning that we would see the beauty of your sovereignty that mixes with our free will, God. I pray, Lord, that we would just have understanding like Nebuchadnezzar. Father, I feel there's people in here this morning that feel like they're just like Nebuchadnezzar, that they are roaming around alone and need help. I pray understanding would come to them about your sovereignty and that you're in control, God. We ask that you would speak to us this morning from your word. We honor your word in this place and we exalt your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the teacher and the preacher. Now do your work in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, how many of you guys have seen the movie Bruce Almighty? Now, some of y'all, yeah, good, okay, okay. Because most of them in churches, you say if you've seen a movie, they're like, I ain't falling for that. I don't watch movies. I'm too holy. Well, for you that, that have seen Bruce Almighty, there is a, you know, it's great, great movie. And there's a, there's a lesson in that movie that really struck me this week. I was preparing for this message. This man was given the power of God where he could literally control things. Do you guys remember when he had his, his, uh, his date, Jennifer Aniston, his girlfriend, he pulls the moon toward him so he could like impress her with a big moon. And then what happened? The earth system went out of control. And then my favorite part is whenever he starts answering prayer. And he's on the email trying to answer all the prayer, and he gets so frustrated. He's like, God, I don't want to be God anymore. And God was Morgan Freeman, which is awesome because I love Morgan Freeman. Um, it's like when I listened to the Bible on tape, I got James Earl Jones one time. And that was like awesome because it was Darth Vader telling me the Bible. But I believe that, I believe that if just this is for me, not y'all, but God probably sounds like Morgan Freeman or James Earl Jones. But, um, but Morgan Freeman, uh, you know, who, who's God, he, he goes and he takes back it from, and he teaches Bruce about the sovereignty and the almighty greatness of who God is. Now you're saying, yeah, dude, that's so funny. I recognize with it, but yeah, that's not me. Matter of fact, that's all of us. If we could be honest, we're all kind of like Bruce Almighty a little bit, aren't we? That we want a little more control. If we had a little more control over our life, we knew the future and knew what was happening, then maybe we could make sense of things, right? And we all want that because in our natures, inside of every one of us, 
we feel like we need control. Why is that? Because you have these two feelings called anxiety and fear that grip your heart on a daily basis. Again, maybe you graduated from that, and maybe you don't deal with those things. But if you're like me, you have fear of the unknown, right? Fear of the future, and it makes you anxious. It makes you nervous. And so the only way to medicate that feeling is control. If I could just control that person or control these circumstances. And one of the worst feelings I'll tell you about losing control, and psychologists talk about this, is when you get a terminal illness. Because at that point, you realize you have no control. Because we all think we have some control over our life, don't we? We really think we've got it together. And and I I remember, you know, my mom, when she faced that and just counseling and talking with her, that's one of the scariest things. You didn't know what the future was going to do. And psychologists even said this, I was studying this week. It says control freaks usually hurt people. But remember, they never seek to hurt people. They are just protecting themselves. Because, see, you've got to realize this. We all struggle with it, and people in our lives that struggle with with this have an issue. It's counterintuitive to totally trust God. That video we saw, all of us just just lean back and we know God's there, but sometimes we don't know if God's going to be there when we make the decision. I'm talking to a pastor friend right now who's getting ready to make a transition from his church where he's at, and he's going to to another church, and it's time. And as I talk to him, he keeps replaying this video in our conversation. How do I know it's going to work out? How do I know it won't be the same? How do I know this? And I said, man, you don't know. You have no control. All you have to do is trust God and move forward in that. I want you to realize that you guys in here, and myself included, are just like King Nebuchadnezzar. The Bible says that he will give the kingdoms to whom he wishes. See, see, you understand that God controls the events, but we have a duty called responsibility, right? And many of us, we got elections coming up, and I remember in 2008 when the elections happened that there was like one group that believed that this dude got it, he was the Antichrist, and one group believed that this guy got it, he was the Antichrist, and everybody was fighting. We had people crying after the elections and people with joy, and we all thought that, that, that whoever gets in is going to save us, right? And we get really bent out of shape about this stuff, but can I tell you and encourage you that when the king of Assyria was over Assyria, God was still king on his throne. And the edicts of the king of Syria did not affect what God did. He's sovereign. And, and we have to realize that because if not, we'll be like Nebuchadnezzar. We'll go crazy. If you feel crazy this week, you're like, I don't know how we're going to pay the bills. I don't know what we're going to do. And then it creeps into you. You're just like him. You need understanding of God's sovereignty. Some of you with your jobs, you're scared of a layoff. There's impending talk about they're going to be cutting positions or maybe somebody that works out to get you and you're, you're worried that, that you may be laid off. And so you're, you're, you're worried, God, what is the next step? And I've learned something. God will never show you the next step. He just asks you to take it. Amen? Some of you in here with your, with your, your kids, God help them. Amen? Just kidding. That, 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 that was a joke. Hopefully you got it. God is sovereign and in control of your children. God is leading them and guiding them and trust God with that. Others of you in here, maybe with your finances, your 401k and your savings, you're like, man, you know, we lost everything in the recession. We lost everything. And I don't know how we're ever going to make that money back. And God, I don't understand why this is happening and why that is happening. But friends, I want to remind you this morning is that God is in control. And many of us are plagued by anxiety, depression, and fear 
because some of it is we keep trying to figure out the future. How are you going to do it? What's it going to look like? When am I going to get there? And I don't know if you're the only one, but I, I struggle with this on a daily basis. So what I want to do this morning is look at a passage. Turn in your Bibles, um, and I'm going to give you two passages this morning. You know, usually I stick to one. First Chronicles 13, 7. That's in your talk notes. First Chronicles 13, 7. Give you the big picture here. I, I was, I'm journaling through the Bible right now. And as I'm journaling through the Bible, I came to this passage in 1 Chronicles 13, 7. And can I be honest with you? I've heard this preached over and over and over. I've preached this many times, and this is like a good, you could preach this 80 different ways. And I thought, God, what are you, you going to show to me this time, man, really? I mean, it's kind of one of those days I needed three cups of coffee to kind of get in tune with the Lord. That's just who I am. And so I'm sitting there, and, and, and I'm reading this passage, and God struck my heart with this passage here. Don't you realize the big picture? The Philistines had stolen the Ark of the Covenant. They had stolen. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, for you guys that don't know, in the Old Testament was where God's presence dwelt. It was what I call God's box. And in God's box was overlaid with gold on the inside. They had two cherubim on each side that were gold. And they were on each side of this big, huge, pretty box that had poles on the side. And God set in order that Levite priests were to carry the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. It's funny, like, let me just say this. It's funny, like, in the Old Testament, he dwelt in a box, but then in the New Testament, he dwells in us. Isn't that awesome? God's not in a box anymore. But uh, let me just get back, just to encourage you. But God ordained this. It's to be carried this way. It's to be done this way. And David brought the Ark of the Covenant back, the Ark of God back, and he was so excited that he defeated the Philistines. And we're going to watch David make some serious mistakes as he brings the Ark of the Covenant back, God's presence. When they had it, they were victorious. When they didn't, they couldn't do it. Because I'm not preaching on that today either. I've got so much I could preach on today, but, but I, I'm preaching on God in control. So let me, let's look at this. Let's look at the passage here. So they carried the Ark of God on a new cart. Say, ooh, that's, that's not good. From the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. Verse 8. Then David and all of Israel played music before God with all their might, with singing on harps, on string instruments, on tambourines, cymbals, and trumpets. Can I just say this real quick, too? There's some people that get moved because things get loud in church. There was something loud was happening here with all of their might, but nothing spiritual was going on. Uh, yesterday in Chapel Hill, there was like probably 30,000 loud people in that stadium. You know the presence of God ain't never been in that stadium. So just because it's loud and it's exciting don't mean it's God. Just, just, just realize that for whatever it's worth. And that's a theme throughout Scripture. And when they came to Chidon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. Let me just say this. I'm not preaching on this this morning, but oxen represent man. The work of man. That's why when you look at the Gospels, you give representations, the work of man. And you know that they were trying to carry God's presence with striving and works. That's counterintuitive to what we call grace. And some of you in here are trying to carry God's presence with works. And you're trying to, to work to get God's presence, not realizing it's already there. You just need to receive it. But I'm not preaching on that today either. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. That's not a good day for Uzzah. And David became angry. Say angry. 
When you don't have control, what is the emotion that you release? Thank you, you holy people. Because some of y'all are like, uh, anger. Uh, he, he gets angry, I don't. Because of the Lord's outbreak against, uh, and, and they became aged because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Therefore, that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day, the outbreak of God. David was afraid of God that day saying, how can I bring the ark of God to me? He was asking questions. He was confused. He was upset. He was mad. So David would not move the ark of God with him into the city of David, but took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. I want you to realize a couple of things here from this passage. Number one, they put it on a new cart. It was called to be carried by Levite priests who walked. But they decided here that they're going to build a cart for it, and they're going to get there faster. David was so excited about what God was doing, he said, there's got to be a faster way. Let's put it on a cart. Another problem we see here is that Uzzah was not a priest, was he? Last time I checked, there's no Levitical priesthood in Uzzah. He was a normal dude like you and I. And he was put in charge of the cart of the ark of God. God said, only Levite priests touch it. You see that? And when the cart stumbled, Uzzah decided to help God out a little bit and steady the cart. And when you watch this here, it's an issue of control. And this is what I realize here in our lives. We like to try to steady God's cart, don't we? I'm going to help God out a little bit. Have you ever heard of the, the statement, God helps those who help themselves? Like, that's not biblical. Do you know that? Because if you could, if you could have helped yourself, you wouldn't need a Savior. The truth of the matter is, you were in sin. You were separated from God, and there's nothing you could do about it. God came and helped you when you couldn't help yourself. And so a lot of times we think God helps those who help themselves. That's why, and I'll mention this a little later, that's why God intervenes and interacts with mankind. We get ourselves into problems, don't we? And then if it was just that God helps those who help themselves, he would never help anybody. We would all be up the creek without a paddle. But what we see here is that God is in control, and these men wanted a little more control. So what I want to do, if you're struggling with, with being in control today, i got three points for you. You can write in your talk notes. Three points. We're going to look at this, this passage. The first point to write in your notes today, all you awesome note writers, is that patience with the plan of God. If you're struggling with control, have patience with the plan of God. Look at First Chronicles 13, 7 and 8. So they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. Then David and all of Israel played music before God with all their might, with singing on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on cymbals, and with trumpets. They thought they could get there a little quicker. And if you're like me, I think like that. There's got to be a faster way than this. I mean, you know, I mean, if, you, if we're working and doing something, I'm around slow people who just drag their feet. I'm like, man, come on, dude, you are wearing me out. We've got to be able to do this faster. And in our Americanized minds, we somehow have crept this into Scripture. We have guys on TV that are teaching, if you send them money, they're going to send you this magic oil that's going to fix your life. That if you send them $1,000, you'll be freed of all of your debts. For some of you, you need to put $1,000 onto your credit card, and you'll probably do better off than that, because there's not a fast way out of it. There's not a, a shortcut in the plan of God, and David believed. He said, man, I believe that I can find a faster way to get God's presence back to the city. You're like, man, that's so cool, but you know that's not me. That's all of us in here. 
we just believe right now. I mean, think about it. Where you're at in your life, there's got to be a quicker way than this. There's got to be a quicker way. And, and, and we, like I said, have allowed Americanized Christianity to come in. And, and listen, I believe that God, and I believe in prosperity, that God wants us to be prosperous. But you know what prosperity is? Can I just clue you in on it? It's enough to do God's will. Whatever God has, whatever his plan is for your life, it's enough to do his will in your life. And some of us have bought in that God is going to just give you millions of dollars because that's what he wants to do. But he has a plan for you. And if he gave you that, that may mean that you're going to mess it all up. Realize this. He has a plan for you, but he also has a season for you. And you cannot make January, June. When it gets cold here in Richmond, I don't care if you fast and pray and roll in the dirt and cry and holler. You can't make January, June. You have to go through the process and allow God's plan to take its place, just like we do in natural seasons. And some of you in places where you know God has brought you out of a relationship, God's brought you out of a situation, and you're ready for the next situation, but you're in between two places. And you're wanting God to speed up the process. Just, God, can't you... Can't you put it on a cart and move me just a little quicker? Here's what I was reading in 2 Samuel 18. You just write it in your notes. Don't, don't, don't turn there. But there was a situation when King David had a son named Absalom. That's another great story there. And Absalom was like probably the worst son ever, but David still loved him. And Absalom got killed, and he was killed in battle. Actually, well, not really in battle, but that's another story. And as he was killed, David didn't know about it. There was no Facebook, there was no texting, there was no email. David had no clue that his son had died. And so Joab, who was David's, like, best friend, he was the man that would stab you in the head if you messed with David. Seriously. He even said that. He said, David, I'll just go stab him in the head. I want friends like that. I'm just kidding. But Joab says, I've got to send a message to David that his son is dead. So there was a, a young man named Amihaz that come to him and said, I want to send the news, King David. I want to be the messenger to go. I want to be the one to do it. And Joab said, you're not going to King David. You're not the one that's chosen. And Amihaz said, but I really want to go. He says, you're, you're too young. You don't understand. We need the Cushite man to take it. And Amihaz said, well, no, that's, that's fine. I'll just go anyway. And the funny thing about this, this young man here is he took the way of the east it says in 2 Samuel 18. He took the easiest route to get over to King David. And when King David's uh, armor bearer looked out and saw this young man running fast, and he had come quick from the land, he said, behold, there's a man coming. He's running very fast. He must have some news. And King David was very excited. He was also very anxious because he knew that there was battle with Absalom. And, and the young man comes in, and he bows before David. Long live the king. And that's what, I guess what you say in the Bible when you scared but he said long live the king and he gets in front of david and david says what news do you have for me he says uh everything's good man it's all good brother david said really you, you ran all that way just to tell me that yeah yeah and then the messenger saw another man running that came the way of the mountains harder journey took longer it was the cushite man who had the news and the cushite man comes King David says, I've got news. Your son has been killed. And David was so angry. He didn't kill Amihaz. I mean, you know, he was angry. But he said, I want you to stand over there until I call for you. See, we've got to realize many of us are just like this young man. We want to get there so quick. And we're like, whatever it takes. And I'll go ahead and go. And I'm going to tell you something. I know I'm young. And I ain't fooling anybody in here. That's why I let my gray hair grow out a little bit. But I, I train pastors and I work with pastors a lot. 
And what I've seen is that a lot of guys get a call from God and they won't go through any training, they won't go through any schooling, no education, they won't have any mentors, and they launch out to do a great work for God. They're just like this young man. Don't have any message, nothing to say. And they get out and they're so excited and they're ready to go. And it's almost like, God's like, really? I've been there before. I had a pastor who I was under and, and man, the guy actually got to the place he didn't even just prepare, prepare messages anymore. One Sunday he got up and said, I don't have anything to say to you. Uh, don't be like that in your life. You're like, well, man, I'm not preaching, so what does that mean to me? Wherever God is taking you, take the way that God has designed for your life. Don't take the shortcut. Don't try to put the ark of God on a cart to get there faster. Let me tell you something. When, when, I, when I meet with, with um, newlyweds, or not newlyweds, but, but engaged couples, here's the problem I've seen. Can I, can I just give you some, some advice? may not like it, may not come back, but I'm here to help you. Amen. I sat with uh, two or three couples a few years ago, and as they were sharing how loved they were, and I was like, that's great, and you can see the stars in their eyes. I said, how long have you guys been dating? About two months. I said, oh, this is like teenage stuff, right? I mean, you know, this is like reverting back. I said, cool, that's great. I said, yeah, yeah, man, and we're getting married next month. Will you marry us? I was like, okay, let's talk for a second. I said, can, can I be real with you? I said, I, I believe your love is real. I believe you, you have feelings. I said, but can I just tell you a, a secret? You don't know that person. I, I pointed at the man. I said, you don't know that man. You think you do, but you have no clue who this individual is. And, and, I, and I kid you not, blank stares whenever their faces. That look is, we appreciate you meeting, but we ain't listening no more. I met with another couple the same thing. And, and this, this man was battling addiction and, and, and serious addiction. And this other woman was a mighty prayer warrior to have any problems. And I told her, I said, I said, you guys need to take time. He needs to finish re- rehab and finish recovery. And you need, you need to observe him from a distance. No, no, God has spoken. God has said. And when somebody tells you God has told you that, then just, just go ahead and just, just, just leave it. Just say, praise God. Because that's what I did. And, and you know what? Both of them said to me, one of them crying, said to me, I didn't know what I married. Because they did not wait. They thought there's a quicker way. Because people look at my wife and I's relationship, and they're like, man, we want a relationship just like you. We want what you have, and blah, blah, blah. But, but we, we were together three years. And we weren't shacking up or sleeping together for three years. And we had mentors who spoke in our life and gave us books to read. We read six books before we ever, ever started marriage counseling. I said, I want to do this thing right. I want to make sure I know who I'm married. I want to make sure that, that we're in the perfect will of God. I want to know that this is God's plan. We postponed our wedding twice just so we can make sure that we're in the plan of God. Now, Americans don't like to hear that. They think, well, it's God, so let's just do it, and they jump into it. And, and let me just say this. Patience is the weapon that forces deception to reveal itself. For you that were sleeping right then, let me, let me say that again. Patience is the weapon that forces deception to reveal itself. Sometimes when it comes, you need to just wait. You need to just wait a little longer and God will show you if you'll just wait a little longer. He'll reveal to you the situation. Some of you are worried about things right now. You're like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how, how this is going to work. Just wait. Just wait it out. There was a story when, when, when China and Japan were fighting back in the old days, back in the days, as me and Jordan would say, that they had snipers, and snipers would take out tanks. Because what snipers would do, they would sit in the trees, 
and they would shoot at the tank about every 30 minutes. And the guy would hear it. And after about three hours, because of impatience, the tank driver would stick his head out to look and see where it's coming from, and he'd get hit. Because he wasn't willing to wait. And what their enemy was doing was saying, if I can get them to act and get them to do something impulsively, I can take them out. And friends, I'm telling you, patience in the plan of God. Patience in the plan of God. I heard this, this poem this week, this quote is really good. Uh, women are going to really like it. Patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Often it is found in a woman, but seldom in a man. Don't try to put the cart or the ark of God on a cart when you lose. Make sure you're patient in the plan of God. Here's, here's point number two this morning. Point number two. It's okay so far? Amen. Sandy didn't bother you guys this morning. You guys went ahead and said, despite Sandy, I'm going to come to church. Amen. Point number two. Trust in the sovereignty of God. Trust in the sovereignty of God. Look at First Chronicles 13, 9 and 10. And when they came to Chidon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark. For the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because, excuse me, he put his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. Can I just encourage you that God doesn't need your help with his cart? Uzzah wanted to step out and help steady the ark of God, and that's where he messed up at. You've got to trust that God is on the throne and God can handle his business. See, see, I, I played sports throughout my whole uh, you know, middle school and high school years. As you can tell, I didn't have the statute to play college, right? God didn't bless me with a bill to do that. But uh, football was my favorite. I just love football. I'm, I'm a football fanatic, and the basketball is close second. In football, it's very interesting because it can't be a one-man show. In basketball, sometimes you can. Sometimes you can have one guy that's really good, and he just... He just does it. But in football, trust is essential. Because if you're the quarterback or you're the left tackle, you've got to trust that everybody else is doing their job. Everybody else is doing what they're supposed to do. And a successful team has trust built that if you're the left tackle, you can trust the right tackle is doing his job. If you're the wide receiver, you trust the tight end is doing his job. But it takes trust. And for many of us, the reason we try to steady the cart is because we don't really trust God. Let's just be real in here. I mean, we talk, yeah, it's the air I breathe, and draw me a little closer, and you're just like, yeah. But when it comes down to it, we want to help God out a little bit. We want to try to try to try to move it on a little bit. God, well, maybe if I just do this or do that, I can move it on just a little bit. But trust is essential. And here's the issue: the reason that we have problems with trust because somebody on earth violated your trust. Many of us have parents that failed us, and we have parents that hurt us. We have family members that. That, that did things to us. And so therefore, because that happened to us, we then project that trust on our Heavenly Father. One of the things I've seen, with, especially when you deal with unchurched folks, you talk about God as your Father, the first thing they think of is what type of Father they had on earth. And so therefore, they believe, well, if, if, if my dad was deadbeat, then therefore, God's going to be deadbeat. And they project that upon him. But I'm telling you, you have to trust in the great sovereignty of God. And you cannot project on God because somebody else hurt you. Listen, man, God is trustworthy. God will not fail you. God will come through. You have to understand that he is good and he is great and he will not let you down. Amen? 
And many of us get to a place where we're like, man, I don't know if I really trust God. I don't know if you're going to come through this time. Sovereignty. That's the, that, sovereignty. If you have any theological background, I say the word sovereignty, that can scare some and enlighten others. But can I just explain something to you for a second? This word sovereignty. We have this mentality, and I hear it all the time, that God causes everything that happens, and everything that happens is God's will. Take a, take a time out for a second. You smile at me too because it makes it easier to preach. Everything that happens on this earth is not God caused and God's will. But what do you mean? I don't know if I believe that. Okay, there's a prostitute in New York that's in an abandoned hotel that has a cracked baby. And this poor child didn't do anything to deserve this, but they're born in this situation. Do you think God really calls that? And he's like, yeah, man, that's what I want. That's my desire. God didn't cause that. Men have decisions that we make. Or, or I love this one. If somebody dies, like, well, I guess it was their time, you know. I heard, I heard so many ignorant stuff when my mom passed away. I was just like, please, y'all shut up. Like, I hate it. I thank God we didn't do a wake because that's when you get all the people coming through saying all the, the really dumb stuff. Best thing you can do is just be quiet and just say, I love you, and I'm here for you. Well, you know, it was just her time to go. And, and, and you know, those things, and, and everybody knows that my mom's death was caused because she had lung cancer from smoking. 63. I don't believe it was God's timing for her. Uncle Charlie, who died of a heart attack at 55 years old, I don't believe it's God's time because he ate cheeseburgers every day. You guys catching this here? That there's sovereignty in which God gives us days and he numbers our days, but sometimes I believe that we can try to move things along even in our process of death, that we have to realize that God doesn't cause everything that happens. But let me say this. He doesn't cause it. He allows it because that's free will. But can I say this right here? This, this is for some of you. God doesn't cause it, but he'll capitalize on it. Romans 8.28 just says this, and I'm not going to quote the scripture because you know it. God doesn't cause it, but he'll capitalize on it. Well, what do you mean by that? It means that somebody may have done you wrong, and somebody may have done this or that to you, but God will use that even though he didn't cause that for his glory and for your good. Amen? That's the sovereignty of God. And, and probably the best way to explain it in our terms is this. I've heard this statement, that the sovereignty of God is that God drives the car and you're just along on the journey. Right? Well, there's a problem with that thinking. Again, I'm just trying to help you out this morning so you can help some other people out. Say God drives into a ditch. He comes up out of a ditch and he runs into a tree and then he and you're just all beat up and bloodied, then, it's God, then God calls that, didn't he? Here's what God's sovereignty is like. Right, let me break it down this way. God's not driving the car. He gives you the privilege and responsibility to drive the car, but he's the GPS. And he's saying, you need to turn left in .6 miles. I know God doesn't sound like that. You all know he sounds like Morgan Freeman or James Earl Jones, but, but God is like the GPS. He's directing you step by step by step. And then you have a choice to trust the GPS or say, you know what, I don't know if I really buy into this GPS stuff because I don't know if I really trust what the GPS is doing. That happened to me. My wife um, has a car with the GPS in it, like it's a new car with the stuff in it. And, and I always use my iPhone everywhere I go. I just, I like using it, so I, I'm kind of used to that. But we're driving, and on her map, it shows a detour, and it has these yellow and green lines, and this stuff's going on. I'm like, what is going on? She said, oh, our GPS is giving us a detour. 
is Caesar's traffic backed up up there? I'm thinking, this is amazing. But you know what? I was like, how amazing that it is. And, and some of you are just like this. I know it sounds amazing, but I don't know if I trust it. Because I, I believe I want to go this way and do this or do that. And she's like, no, honey, trust it. I'm telling you, it'll do you right. And we followed the GPS, and it led us around the backed up traffic and got us home quick. See, that's how God is with us. And some of us are like, man, I know this sounds so good, and you, you preach this stuff, and I hear it week after week, but I just don't know if I can trust this following God. I don't know if I can fall backwards when I can't see what's behind me. I don't really know if that's what I can do in trusting and following the plan of God. And let me just say this, guys. Even if you have made a mistake and God said, turn left in .6 miles, that was my James Earl Jones, and you decided to turn right, you know the wonderful thing about GPS? Recalculating. In the plan of God, when, when, when you have problems with trust, you're like, God, I, okay, I'm going to date this person. I know this person is not godly. I know they don't pray and read their Bible or fast or, or have any semblance of what the Bible says I should be looking for. But I'm going to do it anyway because I like them, and, and they, they're the only ones that give me attention. That was with all the teenagers in here. Uh, the first one that shows you attention, you don't need to date. And so you go down this path, and it's like the worst situation ever. You're like, man, I should have never done that. What have I done? And God never leaves you. He doesn't say, he didn't cause it. Why did God let that happen? Because you decided to turn right when God said turn left in .6 miles. But you know what God will do? He'll say, recalculating. And he'll get you back to the route which he had you on all the time. Because God will bring you back to his plan and his purposes if you will just trust him. Uzzah wanted to help God out and steady the cart. Don't steady the cart. Amen. Here's your final point this morning. We'll get you out of here before Sandy hits. And you can get all your bottles of water and your bread and all that. Here's your third point this morning. Remind others of his greatness. Remind others of his greatness in days that will come. First Chronicles 13, 11 through 13 says this, And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Therefore, that place is called Perez Uzzah until this day. David was afraid of God that day, saying, How can I bring the ark of God to me? So David would not move the ark of God with him into the city of David, but took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Now, I want to draw your attention to 2 Samuel 6. It's the other account of this same story. Listen to this. Verse 2 Samuel 6, 13. Just write it in your notes. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. David changed his tune a little bit. Do you know why Uzzah did what he did? Because David trained him to do that. And when this happened to Uzzah, and he saw Uzzah die, and it was his fault, do you know what David did? He said, Levite priest, what I want you to do is you pick up the stuff, pick up the, the ark, we're taking it off the cart, and we're going to walk six spaces, six paces, six paces. We're going to stop, set the cart down. We're going to sacrifice, because that's what they did in the Old Testament, okay? Sacrifice. We're going to honor God and move forward. And he told all the people, put your instruments down, put down the loud playing, the loud singing, because he said, we're going to honor and reverence God, and I want you to know how great God is. David reminded the people of God's greatness even when he messed up in it. David changed his tune. And let me just say this, the best way for you to be counseled in the sovereignty of God is this week you need to counsel somebody in it. 
They're saying, I just don't know. And I, you, you can say, man, I went to Thrive Church and heard a great message. Or you can just give them your notes that, that you have that we gave this morning. But remind people, because the more that you remind others that God's in control and God's leading you and God's guiding, guiding them, it reminds you of that. I have pastors I coach all the time. I have, I have four or five guys that are in church plants. And they call me. And it's like they're all, man, things are falling apart. I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, my God. I said, man, I've been there before. God's going to lead you out of it. God's in control. This is his church, not yours. And, you know, the more I'm telling them that, the more I'm reminding myself. I got the phone. I'm like, yeah, man, why am I worried? God's in control. God's doing it. I don't have to worry about it. And so many times we get to the place that, that, that we forget to start telling others. And other people are like, man, I'm so angry. I'm so mad. You're like, yeah, yeah, you need to be. Encourage other people in the timing of God. When we were young, when we were little kids, we were taught this prayer as we prayed for our food. Remember that little prayer? understand friends God is great and God is good he's both if God was just good but he wasn't great he'd be like the grandfather who couldn't protect you that you know that the enemy would beat him up if God's just good but God's not just good God is also great if he was, if he was great and not good he would cause all types of bad things to happen and he would be a very bad God You've got to remind yourself every day. I know it's a, a cheesy little prayer, but maybe at, at dinner or at lunch, some of you guys need to start praying that again in your life. Maybe you need to start reminding yourself that God is good and God is great. And he is in control and he's on the throne. And I need reminding of that, guys. I have people all the time who remind me that God's in control. And it's usually the seasoned people that do that. I have men in my life that are seasoned. And they've already been where I'm walking through. They say, I, I can remember. God came through in my life. That's the best advice you can ever have. Let me close here with this. Until you get come to the point in your life that you realize God is sovereign and that he rules and he reigns, you'll be just like King Nebuchadnezzar. You'll be crazy. And you can cause harm to everybody and wonder, why in the world is this happening to me? And why is this going on? You've got to understand God will give the kingdoms to whom he wishes. He's in control. But you need to realize this, and I hate to do this, friends. I hate this. I, I hate doing this. This is like the part of the message I hate to do. I don't like using cliches. You know, you know me. I'm like, I don't like cliches. I like cliche preaching. But there's a cliche that's really good that I do need to use for this message. I know you've all heard it. Can I just remind you? We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. You may have heard that all the time and sit on Facebook pictures and stuff and all that, but I want to remind you that you don't know what's coming up. But I guarantee, friends, I'm telling you something, God has got it in control. Don't steady the cart. Here's what Samuel Rutherford said in closing. Duties are ours, but events are God's. When our faith goes to meddle with his events and to hold account upon God's providence and begin to say, how will you do this or how will you do that? We lose ground. We have nothing to do there. That's God's sovereign purpose and plan. Why did that happen to you last week? Why did this happen to you? Why did those things happen? I don't think that's the important question. I think the important question is how is God going to use it? So you walked in here today and wonder why did that person walk out of you? Why did I lose that job? Why did these things happen to me? But I want to encourage you today that God is still in control. Bow your head and close your eyes.